0: our continuing series on the doctrines of grace um, and we're into the t in the acronym tulip and this is part one which suggests that there's going to be a part two but we'll see how that works we'll see how that works but i wanted to at least give you a prelude that there could be and probably will be a part two so we'll see how that goes um by way of definition and because uh, total depravity total inability um it may mean a number of things to different people, but but let's what's the, the reformed understanding of total inability? And I think uh, R.C. Sproul has a very helpful uh, definition uh, up here at the, the top of page one of your notes. What's meant by total depravity or total inability is not that man is wicked as he could possibly be, in other words, not acting as outwardly evil is is potentially capable, bad as we are, we can still conceive of ourselves doing worse things than we do. rather, it means that sin has such a hold upon us in our natural state that we never have a positive desire for Christ. so what you 're going to gain, I believe, as we work our way through these these doctrines is that there is a an interwoven nature uh, of these uh, these aspects of doctrines of grace, so if we once we grasp total inability, total depravity, radical depravity, all of those are synonyms, then I think what you will discover along the way is it 's not simply a matter of logic, although it is logical, uh, but that 's not why we hold these these views, but you 'll find, um, uh, find that the doctrine of election you 'll find that the doctrine of the efficacious grace or, or irresistible call. Um, and ultimately the design of the atonement and perseverance of the saints, all of them are really inseparably joined to each other. Uh, so I think you'll you'll find that as we go along. But I wanted to start by uh, pointing to you what is our own doctrinal position. Uh, so I've given you an excerpt from our doctrinal statement, which is what we teach. Uh, and this goes to the doctrine of man. Uh, so we don't have a section, per se, on total inability, but the, the nature of the fall is embedded in our doctrine of the man. And in the third paragraph under this excerpt, we teach that in Adam's sin of disobedience to the revealed will and word of God, notice these four aspects. Uh, man, number one, lost his innocence. Number two, incurred the penalty of spiritual and physical death. Three, became subject to the wrath of God. And four, became inherently corrupt and utterly incapable of choosing or doing that which is acceptable to god apart from divine grace all of those are embedded in what we mean by total inability but in particular this fourth aspect became inherently corrupt and utterly incapable of, of choosing or doing that which is acceptable to god apart from divine grace with no recuperative powers to enable him to recover himself man is hopelessly lost So. It, as, as an aside, my, my hope is that as we spend time looking at these doctrines that, that we will have a, an even greater appreciation for what God has done in our lives in rescuing us from our hopeless condition and that we'll understand grace in a richer way. There's a reason these are called the doctrines of grace because once we understand that, that we were absolutely without recourse, absolutely without any capacity whatsoever no inclination whatsoever to go after god and yet he for reasons of his own choosing set his love upon us and drew us to himself that should inflame our hearts in adoration that should cause us to to really worship god even more fervently out of appreciation and gratitude for what he's done but it goes on to say in the next paragraph we teach that because all men were in adam and that's a very important concept the headship of adam A nature corrupted by Adam's sin has been transmitted to all men of all ages, Jesus Christ being the only exception. All men are thus, and this is important, sinners by nature, sinners by choice, and sinners by divine declaration. So that's that's what we teach. Now, by way of uh, an aside, uh, I won't be going through this, but on pages 11 through 14, what I've done for you is I have provided excerpts from a number of historic uh, Reformed confessions and catechisms uh, to, uh, to show you that, that our view of uh, the nature of the fall, the nature of the corruption of man as a result of Adam's sin and, and our nature is, is absolutely in sync with all of these uh, Reformed confessions that have been in place for, for hundreds of years so there's nothing novel there's nothing new about any of this it's it's all rooted in scripture and what you'll notice is that there are scripture references for all of these affirmations and you'll find those in these reformed confessions and catechisms as well there are uh, scriptural references and so our confidence is rooted in scripture sola scriptura. so uh, r.c sproul on what total depravity uh, really means and in this first paragraph i'm just going to highlight some of these points but the doctrine of original sin defines the consequences to the human race because of that first sin that, that's really a very important concept romans 5 12 uh, therefore as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin and so death spread to all men because all sinned. and some would say well i, I wasn't in the garden i didn't commit that sin in, in a personal sense, that may be true, but in a spiritual sense, it, you, you did commit that sin. Adam, your federal head, committed that sin, and you were embedded in him when he committed that sin. And so the, the, the affirmation of Scripture in Romans 5, verse 12, is that Adam's sin made every single one of us as culpable as he, as he was. Every single one of us. And, and it moved us into it in a state of corruption spiritually. Uh, it moved us into it in a state of lostness, and, and all of that is a result of Genesis three. All of that is a result of the fall. And and so, Adam, our our federal head, our first Adam, uh, is the one who um, the result we result in his fallen condition because of what what took place. Uh, in, but we also are, are individually culpable. Uh, we we commit countless transgressions against the law of god on our own uh, every day in in thought and word and deed so there's there's this this view of 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 original sin the second paragraph the first sin resulted in original sin and um, the result of that is that the entire human race fell and our nature as human beings since the fall has been influenced by the power of, of evil david said in psalm 51 this psalm of contrition kind of ringing a little bit but you may want to dial that back but uh, in psalm 51 david is saying i was born in sin and sin did my mother conceive me thank you um what he's saying is that he was born in a state of fallenness that's that's david's testimony and that's that he's he recognized that he was uh, born in a condition of fallenness and he was acknowledging that condition uh, at the very beginning So original sin has to do with the fallen nature of of all of us. And the idea is that we're not sinners because we sin. This is the third paragraph. But we sin because we are sinners. We are sinners because we sin. But fundamentally, our condition is that why do we sin? Why do we commit transgressions against God? Why is it inherent in us? to be lost before god why is it embedded in our very nature to the very core of our being to be in rebellion against god and that's because of our fallen condition because we are sinners by nature Uh, in the reformed tradition total depravity does not mean utter depravity and that's the reason that i quoted the the statement at the beginning I think one of the comments that I read back when I was in seminary was that we're not as bad as we could be, What we are as bad off as we could be. And the the point is that not all of us act out the potential for our evil. We could, and and it it shouldn't shock us when we see evil in the world. Um, But fortunately, none of us act out all of the potential evil that we could, uh, but we are as bad off. All of us are as lost as one could possibly be. Uh, So the idea of total and total depravity doesn't mean that all human beings are as wicked as it could be. It means that the fall was so serious that it affects the whole person. Uh, It affects our bodies. It affects our minds. It affects our thinking. Uh, We are in bondage. We are enslaved to the evil impulses and desires of our heart. And you're saying, "Well, that's a rather dire description." And if that's how you're reading it, then you're understanding it absolutely correctly. Uh, it, it is a dire condition. It's not uh, a very hopeful condition. It's it's a very desperate condition. Uh, it it certainly doesn't uh, speak well of us. Nor should it. Uh, this is our this is our state before God. Um, at the top of page three: uh, the body, the mind, the will, the spirit, the whole person have been infected by the power of sin. And so that's why R.C. Sproul, in this article about the definition of total depravity or total inability, uh, he goes on to say that, that he prefers, and I, and I think it's a good, good description, um, radical corruption. Now, radical uh, doesn't mean extraordinary, per se. It means that it permeates the entirety of one's being. It literally goes to the very core of the human condition. Uh, and that's the point that he's making. It, and it, it, it affects our, our heart. And everything that proceeds from us is a condition of our heart. And our heart is is wicked before God. It's evil before God. It is rebellious uh, against God. And so he goes on to say, so what's required uh, for us, and this is, this is very important. It, it, it impacts everything we do from a counseling perspective, from a discipleship perspective, from a parenting perspective. Uh, This last paragraph uh, in this section uh, on on page 3, so what's required of us to be conformed to the image of Christ is not simply uh, adjustments or behavioral modifications. Do you understand what he's saying? So you you can change someone's overt behavior, you can modify the way that they conduct themselves, but that does not change their heart. What, we, what must happen, what, what is inescapable if we are to be conformed to the image of Christ is a renovation from the inside. Our heart has to be changed. We need to be regenerated. Uh, Al Baker talks about a, a, a viper heart. I think that's the term that he uses. And that's exactly right. All of us are born with this, this, this viper nature within us. Uh, and, it, and it rebels against God, every single one of us. And the complete elimination of sin awaits our glorification in heaven. What that, that point is simply making that before Christ, uh, we were under the, the penalty of sin and the power of sin. Um, and once we're regenerated, the, the power of sin no longer has dominion over us, but we still battle with sin. We, we still daily contend with sin in our lives. But one day will come and we are glorified when we will be delivered not only from the, the power of sin, but from the very presence of sin. And that's, that is glorification. And we, we look forward to that time. That's when we are with the Lord, uh, when we are immediately in his presence. And that's glorification. So a description. So what does the scripture say? Um, what's the, what does the scripture affirm about our condition before we are converted, and Ephesians two one through three says that we were born dead in sin. Uh, we were were born captive to sin. That's our nature. Um, that's that's the condition all of us are in. Second uh, Corinthians four uh, talks about uh, this. The, if the gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Why is it that when when the gospel is shared with someone that unless the holy spirit does that miraculous work of regeneration and grants them a new heart why is it that they don't grasp and embrace the savior and the reason for that it is that their heart is veiled from the truth the god of this world satan the influence of satan has blinded the minds of the unbelieving and you you may say well that wasn't me The, the scripture would say that that was all of us before the holy spirit regenerated us every single one of us so that What's the, the outcome of this? So that we might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ in the image of God. Do you see the hopelessness here? It, it, it gets worse. 1 John 5, 19, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. There, there, there is no exception here. The, the entire world lies under the power of the evil one. And the world here is talking about this world system. And we were in bondage to the world system before we were delivered out of that, that system. John six forty four, the words of the Lord Jesus. Notice the, the terminology. No one can come to me unless the Father, who sent me, draws him. It does not say no one will come to me, although that is true. It says no one can. It speaks to the capability. It speaks to the uh, the the, the, the uh, resource that we would have to respond to the gospel. It is impossible. It is literally impossible. That someone will come to, to embrace jesus christ unless they are drawn so now we're into the doctrine of efficacious grace or irresistible call so you can see these are very much related for this reason i've said to you that no one can they lack the capacity they lack the capability to come to me unless it has been granted him from the father so now we're into election do you see that you see how these are connected with each other So some people wrestle with the notion of election, saying, I'm not sure that that's fair. How could God set his love on some and not others? And the real question that we should all be asking is, why would God set his love on any? Why would God draw any who are in rebellion against him to himself when all of us are incorrigible sinners, every single one of us? Why would God choose to rescue any? That's the question that all of us should be asking, and that's grace that he would do that. So the fact that no one comes unless he's drawn speaks of the irresistible grace or the effectual call. And, and the fact that, that no one comes unless it's been granted him from the Father speaks of unconditional election. And unconditional election is simply that there, that there was nothing that God foresaw in a, in a cognitive sense, looking down He his omniscience, he sees all potentialities and realities uh, with perfection, uh, both uh, past, future, and, 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 and possibilities. He, he did not look down the so-called tunnel of time and, and see that there was going to be a propensity in a certain person's heart to respond to the gospel because that there was no propensity to respond. There absolutely was no inclination whatsoever to respond. So he didn't see that. It didn't exist. Who creates that propensity to respond? God does. If God doesn't create that, that, that inclination, to, not only an inclination but a certainty of responding, it will not happen. That's what, what Jesus is saying. What does Paul say about our condition? I'm just going to read this and then we'll unpack it. And in this passage from Romans 3, 9 through 18, Paul quotes six Old Testament sources and makes a number of statements about fallen mankind. Every single one of us, without exception, falls into this description. What then? Are We better than they, not at all. So this is talking about Jews and Gentiles. Uh, for we've already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin now notice how this expression all and none occurs as it is written at the top of page four there is none righteous not even one do you see any exceptions there? there there are no exceptions there is none who understands there is none who seeks for god all have turned aside together they have become useless there is none who does good there is not even one. Now, if you, if you were to stop there, generally making comments about all and none, those are dangerous statements. I mean, someone would say that's a generalization. No, this is a certainty. It, God himself is, is speaking through the, the, illumination, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Paul's letter here to, to, the God, to the church of Rome to say that absolutely, without exception, there are none that are righteous and there are none that seeks for God. Someone might say, well, I was seeking for God. If you felt that, the reason that you felt like you were seeking God was because God was drawing you, and God called you to believe in him. You, you were not seeking God on your own, I promise you, on the authority of God's word. All have turned aside. Together they've become useless. None does good, etc. Their throat is an open grave. That speaks to the heart, because what, spe- what comes out of our mouth is, is what's in our heart. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips. That's a cobra. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. And the path of peace they have not known. And there is no fear of God before their eyes. Someone might say, I don't do those overt acts. But Jesus says, if we harbor hatred in our heart we've committed murder if we harbor lust in our hearts we've committed adultery if we speak evil of one we have slandered and perjured we've spoken ill of them we've done all of these things in our hearts we may not act out all of the propensity of our evil but every single one of us are guilty before god the this statement at the end of verse 18 is is particularly important because. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we lack in our fallen condition any inclination or capacity to understand God or to even seek and understand wisdom. Absolutely no capacity whatsoever. So the character of fallen man, to unpack this a bit, uh, and we're just breaking this out, none are righteous. Now, in order to go before a holy God and to to be in, in his holy heaven, the, the standard would be that we have to be righteous, and there is none that is righteous. None of us are. But we don't even understand what we need to do. We don't grasp that. And we're not seeking after God. Our, our hearts are steadfastly uh, set against him. And, and we have turned in 180 degrees away from the truth. We've turned aside. We've transgressed his law, and we're not walking in the paths of righteousness, nor do we even desire to walk in the paths of righteousness. None does good, not even one. And the heart of man is described in verse 13 and 14. Because all of this proceeds from the inner person. And in our attitude toward God in verse 18, no fear of God before their eyes. So that that is the condition. And and even though that was written to the church at Rome, Paul is not speaking to a condition that was unique to a church in Rome, uh, Italy. that's, That's not unique to them. This is true of all of us. This is a condition of every single human being. Total inability. Uh, there's a reference of uh, Paul is quoting Psalm 14. He's also quoting Psalm 53. They're essentially the same. In terms of the inability, so we've talked about the, the corruption. Uh, what is our inability? Uh, Genesis 6 now some, before we read this someone might say well this is before the fall and while well, they were in dire conditions before the fall they were in dire condition before the fall but the corruption of man has not changed since before the only thing that has changed is that god has, has made a covenant that he will not again destroy the world through a flood but the corruption of mankind has not changed it has not improved it, we are not better than the pre-fall people Uh, In Genesis 6, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's that's, that's a very sobering thought. And that's the condition of of the the, the pre-flood, I'm not sure if I said that earlier correctly, pre-flood humanity. Um, but the, the humanity is not better than, than the, the humanity prior to the flood it 's only that God wiped out humanity with the exception of Noah and his immediate family, and, and the earth was repopulated, but the, the fallenness of man, according to Romans five twelve was perpetuated because every single seed of, of man uh, was, was uh, corrupt from the beginning. With the exception of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was divinely conceived through the, uh, through the work of the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the heart is more deceitful than all else and desperately sick. We don't understand this. We deceive ourselves. Mark 7, 14 to 23, uh, just toward the end of this, there were people that were focusing on externals and they were... In our world, they were trying to clean up their act on the outside. I, I did that. Uh, I spent a lot of time in my life before I came to Christ trying to, to live that way. And, and that's, that this is self-improvement. This is focusing on externals. This is self-righteousness. And, and there was a focus on, on, on trying to clean up our acts from, from externals. Behavior. And then at the, the end of this passage, verse 21, from within, out of the heart of man, proceed evil thoughts fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. You're wondering why we live in the world that we live in. This is the reason that we live in the world that we live in. And you might be saying, well, I haven't done those things. Well, praise God, you haven't overtly committed some of these things, but in your heart you have hated men and women in your heart you have lied against god you have lied against your brother in your heart you have coveted in your heart you you have lusted in your heart you've done all of these things the fact that you haven't worked it out as we began by saying the nature of radical corruption doesn't mean that we act out in in the physical realm all of the propensities of our evil nature praise god but 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 we have it within us this is our heart condition acts 15 After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. This goes back to Acts 10 where the Lord revealed to Peter that it was not the Jews only who were the objects of His saving mercies but the Gentiles also. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit. This is what took place in Joppa when when the Holy Spirit fell uh, upon uh, the Gentiles just as he did to us and he made no distinction between us and them what did he do he cleansed their hearts by faith we need our hearts to be cleansed our hearts are dirty page six uh, our mind Uh, we've looked at second corinthians four so I, i don't need to repeat this but we are unable hence the term total inability to repent and believe unaided by god's intervention now we'll spend a little bit more time on this but this notion of free will sometimes pops up and, and people say well god would never violate my will I, i'm not a robot that's all humanistic thinking i'm not sure where that language even came from it comes from some form of self-exalting thought process um but the, the, the our nature what is our will our, na- our will is totally corrupted there is nothing within us before God regenerates us that would cause us to do anything that would be seeking after God. So you have a will, and you do respond to God, but your will is incorrigibly bent towards evil. And, and your, your will is incorrigibly bent away from seeking God. You are not seeking God. So what do you do? You, you rebel against God. Romans 5 says that, that, that you were enemies of God, and he, and he was your enemy as well. And, and so this notion of free will, you have a will, but your will is, is totally bent away from anything righteous. It's true. They, they, some of us may have trouble resonating with that, but this is the testimony of God's holy word. And, and so uh, Romans 8, those who were according to the flesh, this is an unsaved person, set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who are according to the spirit, this is a, a regenerate person set on the things of the spirit the mind set on the flesh this is what happens with an unsaved person is uh, is a mind is death but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards god and that's what what paul said not only in, in romans 8 but he said that earlier in romans 5 verses 6 8 and 10 and and those who are in the flesh cannot please god it is impossible for an unsaved person to please god so all of the humanitarian efforts of an unsaved person, all of the so-called good deeds of an unsaved person, have no redeeming qualities whatsoever before God, none whatsoever. And, and this may be alien to the way you were taught as a new believer. It may be alien to, to what uh, we would like to think about ourselves. It may be alien to the way we like to remember ourselves in, in our earlier days. But we have to go to the authority of Scripture. I, it, I, it could not be more clear. Ephesians 4. Uh, so this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk. Now, this is not saying that, that Gentiles are innately worse than Jews. Uh, it's just, the, the point he's making is that they're talking about the, the, this unsaved uh, community um, and, and the futility of their mind. What, what's the nature of an unsaved person? Darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them ignorance means you don't have knowledge ignorance means you, you just simply don't have the information that you think you have uh, it, it, you're dark, your mind is darkened uh, you're excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance the, the hardness of your heart Titus 1.5 to the pure all things are pure but to those who are defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure now who is defiled and unbelieving? an unsafe person both their mind and their conscience are defiled 1 Corinthians 2, this is very important. When we're sharing the gospel with someone uh, and, and we're, we're giving them a, 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 the gospel, we can evangelize. And, and this is really, I believe, the focus of, of Total Inability Part 2. what What, what does... Total, what does evangelism and apologetics look like in a world of total inability? I think that's a, a subject that, that we need to talk about because we need to understand what a miracle has to take place be, before someone that we give this track to or someone that we're speaking to on the street. What, what, will we be able to persuade them to respond to the gospel? Will we be winsome enough to somehow move their heart uh, to respond to the gospel? Stay tuned. But, but I, I will tell you that the natural man, the natural man is another term for an unsafe person, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Do, do you see the, the two terms? Does not has to do with will not, and cannot has to do because they lack the capacity. They, they simply don't understand. They don't respond. They they lack the the, the spiritual apparatus. It does not mean that they're mentally deficient. It does not mean that they don't have an intellect. It doesn't mean that they they don't speak the same language that you do from a physical standpoint. It means that that, that God has not awakened them out of the corruption and the darkness and the ignorance of their heart. So when we go into the, the discussion about free will, again, I'll say this, but the unsafe person has a will make no mistake about it all of us have a will we have a mind and emotions and we have a will but the will is absolutely incapable of doing anything in a positive way toward the gospel unless god regenerates that is not an inference that is a direct statement from john six forty four, colossians 121 you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind engaged in evil deeds the total inability of the will of the lost sinner uh, we talked about romans 8 5 uh, but look at john 8:42 to 47 now in, in this to be to be sure jesus is talking uh, to the religious leaders of his day and someone might say well i'm not a scribe or a pharisee okay so you don't happen to be of the the, the jewish order of the scribes and the pharisees but the, the problem that they have is precisely the problem that any unsaved person has. And that, that means that the, the, you don't understand. It's because you cannot hear my word. That's essentially what 1 Corinthians 2 is saying. You cannot hear my word. Why? You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. And you say, wait a minute. You say, I, I, I'm not of my father, the devil. Okay, turn the page. Colossians 1. What happens when we're saved? He rescues us from the domain of darkness and transfers us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So who who was your father before you were saved? The devil. Whose control were you under before you were saved? The devil. How do I know that? Paul says that directly in Colossians 1. He rescued us. He delivered you. He he reached into our lives and literally... Grabbed us out of the domain of darkness. You, you were a subject of Satan. Satan hates you. Absolutely hates hates God. Hates you. He, he absolutely only desires your utter destruction. You had the worst taskmaster of all creation. You had the most hateful taskmaster. Utterly uh, hateful uh, taskmaster. Who dominion over you as an unbeliever. You say, "I don't believe that." Colossians one. He rescued us from the domain of darkness the rule, the, the, the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. That's what God has done when he saved you. He rescued you. Do you realize what a hopeless condition you were in? I mean, do, you, do you realize what, what what utter lostness we were all in and what God has done for us? And so uh, there's a fellow named Joel Barnes, this, this second paragraph, I'll, I'll just simply read this. The inability... That is intended by the, the terminology of total inability is spiritual inability. It means that the sinner is so spiritually bankrupt that he can do nothing pertaining to his salvation. I hope we've, hope we've established that by, by looking at these verses. Um, the natural man, the unsaved man, is enslaved to sin, a child of Satan, rebellious towards God, blind to the truth, corrupt and unable to save himself or to prepare himself for salvation. Now, if we hadn't gone through the verses that we looked at, I, I think you might say, well, that seems pretty pretty harsh. But, but having walked through these, these passages of Scripture, I think that, that you can see that everything that this statement is, is making has been supported without any question whatsoever by the testimony of God's inerrant word. And what follows is, if you, if you want more scriptures, I, 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 I've only got so much time to go through some of this, but I, I wanted you to have a number of passages you could look at. Top of page 8. Um, this goes to the issue of free will. Um, and, and a fellow named Matt Slick, um, a, a good writer, I'll just simply read this. It, it goes to the issue of free will. Um, the unregenerate have free will to choose but they will freely choose to do what is contrary to god so if someone says i have free will and they're an unbeliever or you're trying to wrestle with this we just need to understand that yes the unbeliever has a will but that will is set against god it is absolutely set against god so bottom of page nine uh, again, uh, on this same point, the unbeliever can respond to God. They, 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 they do have responses, and if you, when you evangelize, you'll notice that there are a number of responses. Right? Some of them are, are friendly. Some of them are apathetic Some of them simply want to continue on uh, without uh, engaging. Uh, some of them uh, sort of want to get involved in a little mind game with you. Some of them are, are generally uh, genuinely interested. Um, there's a variety of responses the unbeliever can respond to god his response will be in accordance with his fallen unregenerate nature which is full of evil mark 7 we looked at the condition of the heart can do no good romans 3 we looked at that passage is a slave of sin is incapable of understanding is at enmity with god and his free will is restricted by his depravity So question, how is it possible that an unbeliever who cannot understand spiritual things, 1 Corinthians 2, we looked at that, who does not seek after God, we looked at that, who is a slave of sin, simply chooses God? And the answer is, he can't. Does that mean he won't? No, it doesn't mean he won't. That's where we get to the doctrine of regeneration. The unbeliever will respond to the gospel if god regenerates his heart that's now we're into the doctrine of the irresistible call or the efficacious grace and the doctrine of election the fact that you're sitting here listening to god's word and professing christ as your savior and your lord doesn't mean that you chose god it means that he chose you it means that you voiced an affirmation of what god had done in your heart you had no ability none of us did absolutely none of us have the capacity in ourselves to respond positively to the gospel but the fact that we name jesus christ as our lord and our savior is proof positive that god has done a miracle in your life how do i know a miracle i, I mean i've just described uh, a, a lazarus experience so you know, spiritually you know, totally unable um and, and, and the greatest miracle uh, in, in Jesus' earthly ministry was in John 11 when he took a dead man and raised him up. That had never taken place before, and, and he started walking around and um, unbinding. That's a picture of what happens when God saves us. It literally is a, a metaphor for what, what, because the scripture tells us in Ephesians 2 that we're born dead in sin. and And, and so... God is literally breathing new life. That's when one of the Gospel of John, chapter three, says, "You need to be born again. You need to be born from above, not not a, a, a human birth, but you need to be born from above." Um, top of page uh, ten. Uh, now we're so. Why do they respond? Why Why does anyone respond to the gospel? Because God appoints them to eternal life acts 13 48 and as many as have been appointed to eternal life believe. you can look at that passage but it's who believes those whom god has appointed what does that mean now we're into the doctrine of unconditional election we'll we'll get into that as we work through but you can see i I hope that that these doctrines are all very very tightly knit together They, they stand together otherwise no one would be would be saved now what, what I would simply close with. Uh, go to page fifteen of your notes, and you'll notice I'm skipping some pages. But those are the the, the, the historic confessions. I've, I've got for you the um, the Belgic Confession, the Westminster Confession, the Canons of Dort, uh, the Heidelberg Catechism, the Westminster uh, Shorter Catechism. All of those. Um, very, very solid Reformed uh, documents. They, they say essentially the same as our doctrinal statement on the condition of man. I, I want you to simply know that, that, that the testimony of, of the, the, the true church over the centuries has been exactly what we've just said, without exception. All, all of these historic confessions say exactly what we have just looked at. There's no innovation that we're engaging in here. Spurgeon had a sermon on John 644. And uh, I've only given you just a snapshot. It, it, it's, it's a wonderful sermon on, on John 6:44. 44. But uh, Spurgeon was saying, coming to Christ is a very common phrase in Holy Scripture. It, used, it is used to express those acts of the soul wherein, leaving at once our self-righteousness and our sins, we fly unto the Lord Jesus Christ and receive his righteousness to be our covering and his blood to be our atonement. Coming to Christ embraces in it repentance, self-negation, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and it sums within itself all those things which are necessary attendants of these great states of heart, such as the belief of truth, earnestness of prayer to God, the submission of the soul to the precepts of God's gospel, and all those things which accompany the dawn of salvation in the soul. Coming to Christ is just the one essential thing for a sinner's salvation he that comes to christ do what he may or think what he may is yet in the gall of bitterness and the bonds of iniquity. coming to christ is the very first effect of regeneration that's the point that i want to make coming to christ is the very first effect of regeneration no sooner is the soul quickened than it at once discovers its lost estate. state is horrified therein. It looks out for a refuge, and believing Christ to be a suitable one flies to him and reposes in him. Where there is not this coming to Christ, it is certain that there is yet no quickening or regeneration. Where there is no quickening, the soul is dead and trespasses and sins. And being dead, it cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. We have before us now an announcement, very startling, some say very obnoxious, Coming to Christ, though described by some people as being the very easiest thing in all the world, is in our text declared to be a thing utterly and entirely impossible to any man unless the Father shall draw him to Christ. And he goes on to say a little later in that same sermon, My text does not say no man will come, but it says no man can come. There is in man not only unwillingness to be saved, there is a spiritual powerlessness to come to christ that's what total inability is all about and and so i think sometimes when we use the term total depravity it creates this impression of of, pick your anti-hero of all human history i'll let you do that in your own mind but i'm not as bad as that person and fortunately you've not acted in the same way but you, you were just as lost as that person Outside of Christ, absolutely just as lost as whomever you, in your mind, depict as the absolute worst um, uh, debacle of human kind. Absolutely just as lost, but just as incapable, just as much a rebel of God at the heart. But if you're in Christ, it is because God has done an absolute miracle in you. He has literally brought new life out of death. He has literally given you a heart of flesh where you had a heart of stone to use the term of ezekiel and god has given you not only the capacity to believe in the gospel and to embrace gospel, uh, the lord jesus christ is your only hope of heaven but the, he's given you the certainty that you will in fact embrace jesus christ and he's given you the certainty that having embraced jesus christ that you don't just have a, a, a hope in a human sense of heaven you have the sureness of heaven because all of your sins are covered in christ and so God has brought you from a, in a state of damnation to an a state of salvation by, by giving you a new heart and causing you to embrace the only possible answer to your eternal future, and that is Jesus Christ. And that's regeneration and regeneration is the answer to total inability. There is no other answer to total inability than regeneration so that's i wanted to set the stage i think it's i think it's reasonable that the so-called doctrines of grace begin with t and it's not just because the, the word tulip starts with t but logically if we if we don't embrace our lostness and our incapacity to respond then then we will not likely understand what the scripture understand uh, teaches in terms of uh, the call um, of Of the Holy Spirit, where he regenerates us, uh, the doctrine of election, the nature of the atonement and and even the perseverance or preservation of the saints these these doctrines all as i 've said, uh, very much are tightly knit together, so understand from whence you came, and when you understand the the, the condition from whence you came spiritually, the only appropriate response is is to Go to your knees and say, thank you, God, that a hopeless, helpless, undeserving sinner you have rescued from hell. You, you have you, you set your love upon me, not because there was anything in me that sought you, because I did not seek you. But, but out of your infinite grace and mercy, you sovereignly sought me out when I was a lost sinner, and you brought me into the family of God. That's the only appropriate response to these things.